Good evening, Patriots. And it's the end of Monday, May 8th in the year 2023. Boy, I tell you, last hour, I was not you know, you do those shows like that, and it's funny because I can tell when there's me, and then I can tell when the Holy Spirit's flowing. And there's some real intensity was coming through that last one. I was exhausted, which is good. It's a good sign. Love when that happens. But we are definitely in a crazy time. And the time it's going to require all of us to get pretty hard nose about where our lines are and what we're willing to do, what we're willing to cross, which is so important. One thing that is for sure, and I hope that you all are doing, is trying to preserve your wealth. And when I say that, I'm not talking anything other than common sense to get your money in the bank or your retirement funds as much as possible into precious metals. And one of the places you need to, that is great for that is birch gold. Patriots, President Trump recently issued a warning from his Mar-a-Lago home. Quote, our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard, which will be our greatest defeat, frankly, in 200 years. End quote. There are three reasons the central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar. Inflation, deficit spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is there is one asset that has withstood famine, wars, and economic upheaval dating back to biblical times. Gold and you can own it in a tax-sheltered retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That's right, Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k, maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. And the best part, you don't have to pay a penny out of pocket. Just text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 for your free info kit. They'll hold your hand through the whole process. The folks at Birch Gold are amazing. Think about this. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Protect your savings with gold like I did. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. Text BARDS to 989898 to get your free info kit on gold. Again, text BARDS to 989898. This is one of those decisions you will never regret. Do it today. And there you go, patriots. Birch Gold, good outfit too, by the way. Real good outfit. I want to read you something here, Revelation 20, 13 to 14. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were there in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to their deeds. And the death of Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, the second death of the lake of fire. We have to really start confronting the realities of judgment because I think what's missing too often is that we are, and especially in this day and age, we are dealing with a population that just doesn't believe that there is such a thing as judgment. And we see that all over the place. We see that in the... Uh, in this new generation, we see it in everything that they represent. It's always about some sort of easy way towards the next life or whatever it is that they're wanting to seek. And there's never a concern for them that there's going to be a consequence for the things that they do. And I find that rather more and more at the core of most of the problems that we currently face. 
And so we get into another passage, which is Revelation 3.15. And it reads, I know your deeds, that you you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need for anything, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And it goes on. Patriots, the principal issue in Scripture that I find, this is for me, when I read Scripture, there's a number of things that stand out in me when I read the Word. And one of those is the intensity and clarity that happens throughout Scripture. There is always a very clear line that we arrive at of understanding good and evil. And there is a commitment to God to walk that path, even to the point where it seems like things are, I mean, it's just so intense, we, we sometimes in this world we can't even process. Take Abraham ready to sacrifice his son before God, and God intercedes. There's a couple of great things that happen in that moment. One, Abraham is willing to go that far for God. And two, Abraham hears God. That to me is amazing. In this day and age, I guarantee people would have a hard time hearing God. We cannot be in a middle place right now of wishy-washy, of vanilla. You know, they say ultimately the goal in controlling society is to make everything vanilla. And that's a, it's a marketing expression. It's an extraction of a marketing expression. And basically everything becomes the same flavor. And vanilla is your neutral flavor, right? So there's no uniqueness. And this is what they're trying to do right now is to eliminate uniqueness, to uniform, make everything uniform so everybody becomes uniform slaves. And the way through that is to destroy those things which stand out, to attack those that stand out, to homogenize those into the middle with a process of fear and loathing and anxiety and all these other great emotions that people are so good at doing, weakening them so that they just become compliant And then you roll in the backfill for those that you eliminate that don't know anything other than being compliant because they want a society that provides them with everything free. That's a large portion of your immigrant population. They're not coming here because they're excited about the ones at the border, by the way. And I mean, be very clear how I distinguish this. People that want to migrate or immigrate to the United States, or at least the ones that used to, I don't know if anybody wants to come here today. I wouldn't. They're coming here for a true opportunity to feel fulfill a dream. Some are leaving true religious persecution to come here and worship freely. Some are coming here to build an empire. I saw a really interesting video the other day, of, and it was all interviewing Muslims. And I'm saying this for a particular reason. And it was asking them where they were from. And you know that every single Muslim identified a location in the United States where they were from? I'm using this because when you look at white Christian culture, I cannot believe the stupidity that settled in there that everybody has to say, well, I'm from Europe. I'm from, I'm Irish. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. I, this is the part what I'm, I'm kind of leading to here is that if we're going to be American, then be American. The whole point of this, this experiment was when we came here, we were to be something other than what we were. We were leaving behind 
the wretched and the miserable that we that we had grown up in and coming into the land of opportunity, knowing that this land would be extremely difficult and challenging, but the opportunities would lay before you. Those that are standing on the border down there, half of them being managed by cartels and coyotes, are not concerned with what they're going to build. They're concerned about what they're going to take and have for themselves. And this is the point where we are. And so scripturally, I'm going to read this again, Revelation 3, 15 and 16. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I don't think there's a lot of debate on that line, to be honest with you. In other words, if you don't have the spine as the child of God, as the as a child of the Most High, to stand for something and stand hard on that line for something mighty, you're worth nothing in kingdom. Obviously, my words, but nothing and vomit kind of go together. Vomit's a little harsher, and that's in the scripture. We were blessed with this land. The pilgrims set up the the compact and the, the agreement that established the process of getting this land. It was all blessed. When our founding fathers came, established the founding documents, everything that's been done has been by the Masons and all these people in the elites have done everything they can to minimize, diminish, and to make our founding fathers seem like they were some wretched fools. They were believers in Christ. That cannot ever be taken away. What else they did? Okay, whatever. But they want to have us associate them with masonry and with all the evils of masonry. The fact of the matter is the documents speak for themselves. The Declaration of Independence speaks for itself because we were given our rights by our Creator, not by anybody else. And that should mean and must mean something to everybody. People have to come to the understanding that we have been given a responsibility to steward and protect and defend this land. This was God's land. When they came here, they saw this as the new Israel. Now everybody's like, pray for Israel. It's like, how about if we pray for our country? That might be a good start. Since Israel's pretty much a Rockefeller-owned or Rothschild's-owned investment retirement home, vacation land. And when you talk to people that are actually doing work over there, a number of my buddies that have, they come back going, man, I, these people are like completely lost. Our focus needs to be on this nation. This was the gift. And we have to have a very clear understanding of what that is and what it requires to keep it. And this is the problem, again, with this current generation and, it, and I say this not as a criticism to anybody that's listening, because if you're here listening, typically, <laughs> there's, I'm sure there's some wanderers that come in and go, what was that he just said? That's okay. I'll shock you. And hopefully I'll shock you enough that you want to go find Jesus really fast, because then you'll be like, Jesus, he said something. And I can almost guarantee you he'll say, yeah, I know. Why don't you come on over here and I'll introduce you to the real truths. See? But all that said... What happens in a generation where everything has no consequence is we end up having to deal with the outfalls of that. And what I mean by that is that our narratives get very deeply corrupted. 
And the, cons- the idea of consequence and accountability get pretty much washed out of our culture. We argue about a lot of things like transgenderism. And you're talking to people, we're seeing people confront, others are confronting school boards, challenging them on why we end up with pornography in the schools. Because there's no consequence. So you're, you're talking past each other. And they're not hearing you. Guaranteed, they don't hear you, nor do they care. That's just a simple little reality of these Luciferian horrors that we're actively involved in our world right now. And I, you know, my patience is zero with this stuff right now because I, I just don't have patience. We're dealing with a battle of good versus evil, and it's happening in a spiritual plane. And unfortunately, they have us so wrapped around the physical plane that we're, we're focused here rather than first and foremost in the heavens. When we put our focus in the spiritual plane where the warfare begins, then it manifests here and we're going to do just fine. Now, I want to have you hear this. And this is, I'm just forewarning you in case I get a blowback on this. This is not a explicitly Christian view, but I think that this perspective on how we are living in the matrix is very effective, especially for what I want to talk about tonight. So take a listen. Oh, man. So if you look at the matrix, it's just a set of programs. If we understand that we, uh, we live in three different worlds at the same time, the spiritual world, the physical, sorry, the spiritual world, the mental world, the physical world, spirit, mind, body, spirit, mind, body, okay? So we're in three different worlds simultaneously. They're not places, they're all literally right here. A lot of us think that we're our body, we think that we're our race, we think that we're our religion, we think that we're our political preference, our sexual orientation. Those are all taking place on the physical plane. But see, the matrix, is the physical plane so what do i do in order to govern the plane below the physical plane i'd have to go to the plane above so what the matrix is is essentially a set of programs that push your buttons on the mental plane to keep you stuck in the physical plane so which is why i can sit here and pump out a bunch of stuff about your body and now you'll think that you are your body and now by you thinking that you're your body you're stuck in the physical plane this is how you broke free from the matrix this was through your mind this is why you see this. Life is mental. That's what life is. So when you when you have an awareness. So when you when you have an awareness mentally of what you actually are, you take control of your thoughts. You're responsible for your thoughts. You're accountable for your emotions. Now you can start to essentially dissect, dissect and, and, and disintegrate yourself from the matrix. And now the matrix can't control you. I think that is such an on point kind of broad perspective in the spiritual sense. And when you look at the mechanisms of what they're using in terms of propaganda, constantly agitating fear, they're literally forcing people to live in the flesh. And what have we been warned in Scripture? Don't worship the flesh, right? And yet here we are. And, and this latest incident down in the border is in a certain degree no different. Only thing is, they're, and they're using the mechanisms of fear to keep people locked into the worries of flesh. And so it's keeping people from taking action, from standing up and, and holding to, holding that line against this evil. There should be a million Americans down on that border right now. There should be five million Americans on their way to D.C. with torches in their hands. There should be half a million, 100,000 to half a million people surrounding every state capital that's turned against them and being ready to start building gallows. That's where we should be. Unfortunately, we're not. 
And so much of that is stemming from the fact that people are locked into the flesh. They're worried about dying. That's one of the big ones. They have this constant obsession that you're going to die. I mean, look at how successful they were with COVID based on a simple fact. 98 point, I think the number was like 98.2, 98.5% survival rate. And you have this other minute, and I think it was even higher for other categories, like even up to 99%. And yet these fools were like, if I don't wear a mask, if I don't take a shot, I'm going to die. Well, okay, you're all going to die. They took it. But that's, we're all going to die in the end anyway. The difference is that as, as we have, as we talk about, and all of us know, as we walk with Christ, that, that this mortal life is a transition. It's not simply us to be refined, to be greater in Father God. And to do that, we have to rekindle the, the concept of the martyrdom mentality. If Christ died for you, would you be willing to die? In return, that's really the bottom line question. Easy to say, but would you be willing to do it? And unfortunately, people get tripped up. There's a piece that I came across today that was talking about the coming attacks on Christian faith. And in this piece, which I find interesting, it, it goes through the this was actually done in four, this was done 14 years ago. I'm just going to read through this for you to kind of give you a perspective and especially how it ends is on point. It says this is remember that this was written 14 years ago by Paul Washer and he was warning the church 14 years ago. The church in America is going to suffer a suffer so terribly and we laugh now but they will come after us and they will come after her children. They will close the net around us while we are playing soccer mom and soccer dad. While we're arguing over so many things and mesmerized by so many trinkets, the net is even now closing around you and your children and your grandchildren, and it does not cause you to fear. You will be isolated from society as it already as it is already happening. Anyone who tries to run for office who actually believes the Bible will be considered a lunatic until finally we are silenced. We will be called things that we are not and persecuted, not for being followers of Christ, but for being radical fundamentalists who do not know the true way of Christ, which is, of course, is love and tolerance. They're, they're right there, patriots, 14 years ago. Paul Washer nailed it because right there is the pacification of the church. I'll continue. You'll go down as bigots and as the greatest haters of mankind in history. They've already come after your children, and for the most of you, they got and they got them. They got them through the public schools and indoctrination and the universities and indoctrination. And then you wonder why your children come out not serving the Lord. It's because you fed them right into the devil's mouth. So little by little, the net is closing around, and it, then it's not little by little. Now look, now look how fast things are going downhill just in a matter of weeks, a matter of weeks, he stresses. But at this same time, know this, perse persecution is always meant for evil, but God always means it for good. And, as it, and is it not better to suffer in this life to have an, have an extra weight of glory in heaven? But that also means you have to have strength, by the way. Those are my words. You have to have a spine to stand up to it and not simply comply to it. You must settle this in your mind. 
as he continues. This is one of the thing, this is one thing that I want to say over and over. Do not believe down through the history you have a wrong idea of martyrdom and persecution. You think that these men were persecuted and martyred for their sincere faith in Jesus Christ. That was the real reason. But no one heard that publicly. They were martyred and they were persecuted as enemies of the state, as child molesters, as bigots, as narrow-minded, stupid people who had fallen for the ruse and can contribute nothing to society. Your suffering will not be noble. So your mind must be filled with the word of God when all people persecute you and turn on you. And then the spirit of God and, and common grace pulls back and you see even your children and your grandchildren tossing in the lot that you should die. This is no game. By the way, just as a footnote on that, that's exactly what happened in COVID. Family members turned on family members. I had this conversation the other day with some uh, regarding some of our own family members that had they mandated vaxes, they would have been the first one to say you deserved it if we had been thrown in jail. That leaves a pretty deep wound within your own family. So to conclude this, you have you want revival and awakening, but know this. For the most part, great awakenings have come preceding great national catastrophes or the persecution of the church. I believe God is bringing a great awakening, but I believe that he is raising up young men who are strong in trust in the providence of, of God to be able to wade through the hell that is going to break loose on us. And it will be on us before we even recognize it, unless, unless it's God's providence he has not done. And then he concludes with this. Now note that this is not silly talk. Apart from a great awakening, these things are going to come upon you. Be ready to lose your homes, your cars, and everything. Humbling words. Humbling words. And this was done 14 years ago. The fact is that this is where we are. And we're in an open society of war against anybody of faith. And the irony is that the great the movement, the group of people that should be standing up the greatest with the greatest strength are the ones that are being most passive because they have been pacified. That's the Christians. And I and I tell you it, it deeply bothers me. Because scripture is not one that shows grace on pacified people. Take a look at the, at the story of Esther. The pacified people were almost annihilated. It was because the king with Esther, because of Esther who convinced the king to give an edict that allowed them to protect themselves that then the Israelites were able to stand up and fight and even go on the offensive to wipe out those that were threatening to annihilate them. All of this is something everybody has to process now because so much of the conditioning from the pulpit has been that of milk toast, marshmallow pews, and this whole idea of love and, and peace at any cost. That is not biblical. It's nowhere in there is that biblical. If there was peace at any cost, Christ would have groveled in front of the Pharisees and would have asked for forgiveness and would have found amends and would have never been, would have been crucified. Peace at any cost does not exist. And the problem is they try to use this image of Christ 
which I use, I say very often in this kind of modern interpretation of a of a New Testament view of, of religious teachings with Christ becomes the modern dirty hippie. And it's just like, oh, love and hugs for everyone. We're going to get along okay. That is not who Christ is. And I did use the present because it's the living God. It's not just the dead God stuck on the cross, which the Catholics like to do. That's just a trophy they put on the wall, and it disgusts me. We are dealing with our Savior, our King, the living God. And this, if you've had an encounter with him, I will tell you the most humbling moment I think I've had in my life that lasts is that encounter with the warrior Christ. It is noble, it is mighty, it is ferocious, it is humbling, it is kind and loving, all of those in one. And so in that moment when you encounter that, you understand love in a completely different context. It resonates deeply. Yes, there is prayer. Yes, there's the gentleness of holding a newborn with the kindness and love and grace that only kingdom can give. But there is a ferocity in Christ that is armor-laden with the most spectacular and gorgeous armor of, of silver and gold in and, and, and shades and shimmers that you can't even describe or even draw. But it's there, and it's a mightiness and a ferocity that knows that when the enemy sees him, the enemy falls on its knees and collapses, and there is no mercy for an enemy, especially one that has harmed the little ones. And yet there's such deep compassion for his children. That walk is very easy for me to visualize in my life. And it's also the understanding that, and I hold this dear, he died for our sins. Would I be willing to die for him without a hesitation? But I also know this. I also know that me dead does not affect positively the ranks and file of God's army. So it is not my intent to sacrifice. It is a mentality of what you're willing to do as God leads you fearlessly into war. But we are in difficult times. 2 Peter 2, Peter 2 but beginning at 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you for false words. Their judgment for long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God, continuing, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who will, would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard there 
that righteous men, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. I always love when I read something and then I'm reminded of another passage that's completely in a different part of the Bible that all links together. This is 2 Peter 2, 2 Peter 2, okay? And that's we just read 1 through 9 or 1 through 10. Now listen to this. Following those last words, especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. Then we jump to Romans 1, 18 to 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts and were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now pause right there before I finish. I just want you to think of all this ridiculous idolatry that's going on right now with the imageries of Trump being somehow akin to Jesus. I think some of these people are actually good people. They are just so deluded by the teachers and the false prophets that they're being led astray. And unfortunately, this next paragraph here is going to kind of delineate, to my opinion, what is happening to so many and why we are witnessing this craziness in the world. It's the reprobate mind. Therefore, God gave them up to their lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their heir. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice, They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent and haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is a righteous God we are dealing with. Our Father is unbelievably loving, has infinite love for those who seek him. But there is a consequence in all of these things. And these words in in Scripture, I think, are too often just brushed across. 
I mean, this literally says that they deserve to die. We know that in these stories, again and again, there's a consequence for things. And while we try to live our lives, unfortunately, we get overburdened with our own guilts. I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just knowing that this is a fact, every one of us, because we're in a society of negative. Everything is negative. You, it's a society of I can't, you, you're not able to, you're not privileged enough, you're, you're guilty. And the part of this that has been incorporated into the church teachings is to break people down to remind them that you are not worthy which is probably one of the most insulting statements I could ever imagine saying to God. Oh, God, by the way, your children are unworthy. I'm not going to speak for God, but if it was me sitting on that chair, I'd be like, excuse me? I mean, I sacrificed my only son for you. What the hell's wrong with you? You're unworthy? You're very worthy. You're flawed. You're sinful. I get it. I'm giving you a path to life. Repent. And understand that I believed in you so much. I, I love you so much. I was willing to sacrifice my only son. Do we think about it that way? Unfortunately, not enough. Because that gives us a responsibility when we do that. When that, we put this into context, that means that we have an accountability in this world. Christ did not die on the cross simply for us to go to church, get dunked in a tank, get some little sprinkles of water, dominus ominous, you're all good, you've accepted Jesus, and away you go, show up to church every Sunday, throw some junk in the offering plate, and away to heaven you are. That's Pharisee stuff. That is straight up t temple of the, the um, dead stone temple walls, man. And it infuriates me. And I think it so deeply degrades our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. It, it literally just boils my blood. A man that went through unbelievable le levels of passing the word, teaching, showing us the way to, to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, and then went further to tell us that you can do greater works in me because I'm going to the Father. He's told us you have authority over snakes and scorpions. You have authority over all the dominion of evil. And yet we say, we're unworthy, I'm guilty. Yeah, we're imperfect. Accept Jesus, number one. Make sure you have repented. Come to Christ, get on your knees, repent. But that's the beginning, not simply the passageway to heaven. And this is where people, I, get, I think, get stuck. And I think this is where the church does such a horrific disservice. I'm not telling you, and I'm used to be clear, because I know somebody will probably say, well, well, then you're saying that we don't go to heaven and we accept Christ? No, I didn't say that at all, but I will guarantee you, you're not going to be in the front row. You're going to be back cleaning the toilets if that's all you do. We are here in a martyrdom mentality. We have to be willing to give as much as Christ gave into this world, and right now is the hour to do just that. It's a critical hour. And so in this point in time, we have to give more. And that doesn't mean like, well, I, I don't have anything in my bank account. God doesn't deal with money. So I just want to qualify that because I often get this comment and I, and I, I feel I have such deep empathy when people say this. It's like, and I've seen this even recently. I don't have money, but I can give prayers. Praise the Lord. Seriously. Bless you for having the mind, the presence of mind to say that you can give prayers. 
The Lord provides resources, puts on our heart to how we want to give. That comes in many forms. But the number one thing we should all be giving is prayers for one another, prayers for this nation, prayers for those people down on the border, prayers for those people that are homeless. I'm going to say it, and boy, is this going to be a difficult one tonight. I'm going to like choke this one down. I'll even pray for my lesbian whore governor. It doesn't mean she's not accountable because if she doesn't repent, I have no problem watching her butt go straight to the lake of fire or helping her there. But it's coming at it not with a heart of vengeance. It's coming at it with a heart that I have prayed for her to seek Christ and to be saved because that's ultimately our goal. But nowhere in there does it say to be weak. I've told this story many times, but I want to highlight this because it's such a critical snapshot in all of this, and it's in the garden. When they come for Jesus, Peter draws the sword. Peter cuts off the ear as the servant tries to grab Jesus. A couple amazing things happen there. Number one, Peter saves his life, by the way. He stays the attack and saves his life. He could have killed him, but he didn't. But even greater is Jesus heals the ear. But even greater than that, Jesus never rebukes Peter for drawing the sword. Patriots, this is a very real world. The visceral part of our world is hostile. We are behind enemy lines. We're not Jesus. I, sometimes I wish, not sometimes, I'd be like really cool if I had all the ability he had to go out here and start healing the sick, doing all this good stuff and watching the whole cartel down there on the border bow before Jesus as I sit there and go, hey, I just want you to meet the man behind me. That his name's Jesus, and I'm just here as his representative, and you all are going to bow to the king. I'd love to see that happen. But the real is that in the Bible, we are shown over and over that these things don't work quite that smoothly here. We're behind enemy lines. We're in a territory that is literally where we live, and we are required to protect and defend this, to, to occupy, expand, and subdue. And that creates, should create a ferocious warrior within us. One is so passionate for God that under no circumstances will we give, a, give an inch. When I see this stuff going on in our news and I see parents up here arguing with school board members that look at them with these dead eyes and they say, why are you, why are you putting this junk in our schools? I'm asking another question. Why aren't the parents storming the libraries and shredding those books and bringing them in and throwing them at the school board's feet and quoting from scripture, quoting Romans 1, 18 to 32, and then taking their children out of school because it has to happen, coming together as Christian communities going, we're done, we're out. Where is the campaigns right now to defund our schools? They need to be defunded. Where is the campaigns out here to, in front of the teachers' homes, calling them Satanists, which they are? This is the aggression that needs to happen in a, in a Christ-like manner because we literally have to be flipping tables. I'm going to paraphrase something I read the other day, but it went something like this, and I just it struck me as very powerful. Forgive me, Lord, for taking a seat at the tables in my life that I should have flipped. Right there. And... This right here is ultimately where we have to reflect on our own lives. When you consider the magnitude of what Christ did in flipping tables, this is the same 
image of Christ that loves everyone, heals everyone, flipped tables. And they do this so intentionally, it, it irritates me because you see him in what in the Middle East we'd call a man dress. It's, it's this, you know, you've seen it. It's like this one piece, looks like a nightgown. In the Western culture, that totally diminishes him. If they had put him in a regalia of armor, we'd see him completely differently. But we don't. We see him as this very meek person. And he is meek in terms of a mighty warrior, but we don't translate meek correctly anyway. We see it as this very pacified person who just walks the earth. This dude rocked, man. He was a, he was a warrior above warriors. He didn't have a problem walking into the middle of the temple and calling out the Pharisees. He knew what the cost could be. And he did it anyway. And when he flips tables, that's a decisive act. And it's it should stick in everybody's mind as much as the actions, what happens in Jericho, what happens with Esther, what happens when Moses stands on the mountain hold, having his arms held up as directing his army. All of these things should stick out in our minds because they're powerful reminders that when God moves in big ways, it literally shakes the earth. And we aren't intended to be passive bystanders in this whole thing. I am a proud, very proud Christian warrior because I seek to follow the warrior Christ and it's that balance of incredibleness of the passion and love for the most vulnerable and the intensity and ferocity of fearlessly facing the most evil and all in between. And that, I think, is what God's calling right now. We've seen it in certain aspects of people standing up. And it's great, and I think it's awakening deeper in people as we start to realize what we're at the risk of losing. But the reminder is as well is it's not just the now, it's where we're going. We got here because we got complacent. We got here because we got comfortable. We got here because life was good, because we fell into the physical. We enjoyed the physical. We enjoyed the, the flesh to buy the house, to get the new car. And the flesh has some great benefits to it. I'm pretty open about how much I love my Jeep. It's actually God's Jeep. And I'm very honored to be able to drive God's Jeep. But if God calls me to walk away from that, we have to detach and we have to do what needs to be done because ultimately our mission is of a spiritual order. And this plane and battle that we're fighting is raging in the spiritual plane, manifesting before us in the physical. When we start to get tangled in our anxieties or concerns of what I can do, can do I hear God, we're asking the wrong questions. We're, we're chasing the wrong tail on this thing. God is within each one of us. His voice is present for you to reach to at any moment. It's one of these things that if you trust in it, it leads you. And it doesn't boom necessarily like a voice that you would expect because we have become so attached to the physical. The physical is the place where we start to say, well, God must be speaking to me like I'm speaking to you now. Sometimes, no. This is God's creation all around us. He will speak in many forms. 
we have to become attuned and aligned and tuned in to the frequencies that God uses and the many ways in which he communicates and trust in that. We, we are amazing people, literally children of the Most High. And every time I read, I reflect on that statement, and every time I read about the authorities given to us, and when I go through these, every single time, and I, I, I just say, how could we have not, how did we miss that? How did we miss Luke ten nineteen? Behold, I have given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Why does that not just, like, you want to just tattoo that on your chest? Not going to tattoo it, but my point is, you just want to put that up before you. You want to beacon that out into the world. How can that not stir the excitement of what we really are? Or John 14, 12, this one here takes me to another level every time I read it. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. That's red letter language, both of those. That's Jesus telling us this. And yet, you're going to hear things like, well, I don't go to a charismatic church. I, I don't, we don't do those sorts of things in church. you know. And the answer would be, Why? We're supposed to be healing. We're supposed to be casting out demons. We're supposed to be raising the dead. We're supposed to be doing greater works than he, if we truly believe in him. We're supposed to have authority over these ancient cults that deal with the control over the body, the snakes and the scorpions. And we're supposed to have authority over all the power of the enemy. So why is it we're not doing it? Why is it that we hesitate? Why is it that we doubt? Why is it that we have anxiety? Why is it that we have fear? God knew that we would have fear. He told us 365 times, fear not. And because of the hesitation, because we have retracted back, because we don't believe in who we are, look around. Look at the world we are now in. A godless train wreck with these horrific demons, uh, transgenders running around in the open, laughing and mocking at us, knowing all the time, every one of them knows deep within that we are the children of the Most High. Let me say it again, that we are the children of the Most High. And yet they mock us, they laugh at us. They're like, I cannot believe that these people who have the God of of all gods, they are children of the Most High, are being railroaded by us two-bit demons. Let's continue to do this. This is fun. Let's make them hurt. Because ultimately that goes down to the conflict between Satan and God himself when it all began in the beginning with Satan telling God, you're making a mistake. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing. Satan felt there was a mistake made. God giving his children authority and the ability to choose. Satan wanted us to worship him, be told how to worship. And hence, do we have the fall? Man. And here we are. An opportunity right now of a lifetime that I hope everybody is taking advantage of to lean into Luke 10, 19, to lean into John 14, 12, to seek it hard, to ask Father to show it. And if once you don't succeed, 10,000 times try again and keep going and never stop because it will happen. These are authorities that we have to learn. We've not grown up with them. They're authorities we have to embrace. We've not grown up with them, but they're here. It's now, and this is how we change the world. And there's no rules here. 
you know, this is, I mean, I say that there are some limitations, don't get me wrong. But when I say that, it's like if someone says, well, I have to do things a certain way, that's cultish. Pray, follow your heart, let God lead and be ferocious in front of this enemy. But back to where we begin, and it is such an important perspective on everything that we do. We have to understand that we are expected, we are truly expected to be hot or cold. In other words, commit. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That is the sense of who we are. And that is the power of who we are. When we commit and we lean in and we are decisive and we are hot or cold. Look, here's what I know. I'm not always going to be right. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm human. That's part of my trip here with God. I'm going to repent. He's going to, he's going to remind me or rebuke me when the time is necessary. But here's the most amazing thing of all. And it truly is amazing to me. As we lean in and we become decisive and God is, and we invite God to the table, we invite him in to sit and dine with us. As he stands patiently at the door waiting for the invite, as we invite him in, even our mistakes he's going to enjoy because he enjoys watching us grow. So be bold. This is a time now to be courageous. Pray for the homeless on the side. Stop your car. Get out. Go pray for them. Ask them if you can pray for them. I do it. I try to make it a regular thing. You'd be amazed at how many people would just respond by like, thank you. Be bold. Step into the world. Let, let God work through us. Open the doors for the Holy Spirit and be the warriors of Christ that we in, are intended to be. This evil, I'll tell you, I'm at my peak frustration and I, I'm had it with them. Because they're nothing. They are literally nothing. They, they are a bunch of conjured tricksters. They're like the magician that makes somebody float when it's just a bunch of wires and a bunch of strange metalwork underneath that we can't see. But we become dazzled by it and we become intimidated by it. No. We are the children of the Most High. And as the children of the Most High, Truth rests with Father, and we are given the authority to above over all of this. And above all, we are given the power and the mightiness of truth and his love. So let's use it. Let's pray. Father God, we are blessed to be here tonight, and thank you truly for allowing this assembly. So Father, we're just praying tonight for that mightiness of the warrior heart. It's a time when right now this evil that we're dealing with is just every chance it gets trying to stir some other nonsense in the weakened hearts of people. And unfortunately, Father, there are so many people that have been weakened to a state of listening to this, being intimidated by this. We pray for them. And it's not just that we pray, Father. We pray for the strengthening of the heart of the remnant and the courage of the remnant to reach in, to lead and to say, here I am, 
not just to you, Father, but here I am to my neighbor. I am here. I'm proud of being a warrior in Christ. If the neighbor freaks out, they'll get over it. We'll pray for him. So, Father, we just pray for that courage to be outward about this, to be unrelenting in our pursuit. And in the process, whatever comes, comes. Because this, if we could just get it in our heads so clearly that this is the walk of kingdom. This is it. It's not tomorrow. It's not if if this or that. It's now in the presence with you. And Father, for those that are still struggling to hear your voice, this is my prayer. Truly my prayer. Trust. And trust that they can hear. And trust that they can hear you. And trust that they can seek your face. And be patient to let it work. And in the meantime, keep going. You have given us so much in this world, Father. We're so blessed and we thank you for all that you've presented to us, all that you shower us with. Even this time in which you've put us in to live. What an amazing time. So thank you, Father. Guide us, protect us. And we say these things in in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. This is truly a great time to be alive. Exciting time to be alive. It's challenging. We've got the deceivers out there. We have the false prophets out there. They're all over. Whatever. But when we keep our eyes rooted and grounded in Scripture and our eyes on Christ to our Father, this isn't so difficult. It's not that it's not going to have its moments, but it's not so difficult. We can make a difference in all of this in a big way. And it's time to for more and more people to stand up with that warrior heart. And it's time for the remnant to start realizing how important of a role we have in helping others stand. And that's the mightiness of it all. Patriots, as I close, I put the link for Bars Fest tickets underneath the podcast. I'm going to keep pushing it and we need to get people there. This is a big event. It is a very big event. And I'm going to talk a lot about it tomorrow because I I think a lot of people are looking to the fall, and I know a lot of things are going on, but let me be very clear. We don't know what's going to be, what our country is going to look like in the fall. I hope it's all good, but I think we all can agree it's going to be pretty, we're going to go through some pretty crazy times. This event is designed to bring people together, to re- re-energize it. Great speakers, great environment, great community. I want to link Bars, Bars Nation up with. So if you can make it, be there. And check out, the site. We've got some great speakers, and I'll go over it again tomorrow. Bartsfest.com. You'll find it. It's great. You'll love it. It's going to be another wonderful event. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest depth. 
get back in my body. 